I'm your host, Stephen Gutteridge, and welcome to Mid-South Moments. We welcome back James Coleman today for some intergenerational 80s wrestling fun. How are you doing today, James? Oh, I was going to ask you, my notes from Sunday, I was going to ask you, how's the hangover? So I don't know if you're hungover today or not. Are you hungover? No, it's gone now, yeah. I, to be fair, it's like the first time in a long time. I've never really had two-day hangovers. I've yeah. had one day, but... That Monday, oh my God, two-day hangovers, man. Like, well, wait till, happens, um, but... wait till you get to my age, you get a week-long hangover. It takes me a week <laughs> to go. The, the, the last, um, actually not the last, the second to last stag day I went on before lockdown, we had two stag days in my life. We've done the weekend before the wedding, which is a dreadful idea, absolutely awful idea. Um, and I felt really rough all the way through to the wedding. So like a seven-day hangover and then followed by a couple-of-day hangover from there from the wedding so we were just talking off air that in the uk now we've just switched over to pubs being allowed indoors but you yeah. you went out quite a lot during the kind of the braving the cold weather and out while pubs are only ever able outdoors it's okay in somewhere like california but not quite so good when it's was, yeah. nine degrees basically yeah bristol ended up looking like um most european capital cities like mm. everywhere bars that don't have outdoor areas which is open these like well cool looking outdoor areas like everywhere was like really really cool looking but most of the time it's raining but yeah i mean going that long without a pint man i was happy to have it in the rain tonight <laughs> absolutely and we're pleased to say that we're being powered today by the good people at astrazeneca and also pfizer are you are you two doses in now is that yeah i had my second one yesterday so oh congratulations yes yeah, so you're uh about what nine or ten days away from being immune, hopefully to it all. That's yeah. it. Yeah. No mind, I could probably catch it tomorrow. So. Well, yeah, but then <laughs> to be honest, I, I think after the first dose, you, you'd be you'd, you'd probably only have it pretty mildly anyway, wouldn't you? If yeah, hundred percent. So that is pretty good. So it's been a while. So there's lots lots happened in uh, the world of mid south mid south wrestling since we last spoke. Um, and at the desk today, Jim Ross and Joel Watts. And Ross says that Grizzly Smith has assembled a fantastic card for this show. We've got the new TV champion, the Snowman versus Tommy Pritchard. Mid-South Tag Team Champions, Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death, Steve Williams will be here. North American Champion, Terry Taylor versus Eddie Gilbert. Brickhouse Brown and Brad Armstrong versus Jake Roberts and the Barbarian. Kamala versus Vern Deaton. We've got the Brute in action versus Frank Lane plus NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair, which I guess you must have been excited when you saw his name pop up. Oh, yeah, Rick with a K. Rick with a K. Yeah, Rick with a K, absolutely. So obviously, whoever's doing the key is not, um, you know, not not, not on the ground floor when it comes to wrestlers' spellings. Um, so Ross said that Joel's father did not want to comment on recent events, but Joel's been living with him and he's been acting very differently. He explains that Bill wants to suspend Skandar Akbar after what had happened to Jim Duggan. And Joel said, basically, you won't have seen this, I didn't show it, but um, Skandar Akbar threw a fireball in Jim Duggan's face at a live uh. event. So, And actually, it was so dramatic that they cut into the normal Mid-South show with like a breaking news thing, which was quite revolutionary in 1985. Less so now, but it was incredible. I actually, when I was watching it, I was like, oh my god i can't believe what they're doing here and like bill watts came on screen with the most somber tone it was incredible it's one of my favorite things they've done since i've been watching this yeah. um so duggan uh, bill watts called duggan a man's man who always gave 150 percent to the fans he said look at what's happened to him look how far you can how far you can go and how low you can go he talks about terry bullied him insulted that uniform that stood tall for America and what said he can't handle it anymore. He terminated Skander Akbar's contract, but he got a lawyer involved and some lawyers will do anything. He says they're like a pack of dogs and he says the lawyers can't suspend them without a hearing. 
Watts stumbled a bit, but then said he doesn't know where this is going to end up and whose life is going to be taken by Skandar and his crew. He turned to look at the statue that he said was behind him and he said that he said was of two gladiators in the days of Rome. And he says, that's what it's all about. One-on-one, the purest form. He's tired of going through bureaucracy. Every legal way will tell him 900 ways why he can't do it. The government will tell him that. What says he's got to get back to basics as a wrestler in the gym. And if you could kick somebody's butt, you won the prize and the money. He needs one last shot at it. He can't be shut away in an office anymore. He needs to make a statement and he needs to find out a cowboy Bill Watts has enough to walk tall, to settle things once and for all, to stand up for America, stand up for his friends and stand up for what is right. I thought this was pretty pretty great from Watts here uh, in terms of a baby face promo, setting up his return to the ring for the first time since the last stampede run with Stagger Lee, which concluded in early May 1984. So just over a year. Um, I guess it's probably the first time you've seen, seen Bill in like a full-on wrestler mode rather than commentary mode. What did you make of this? To be fair, I was uh, I, I had no idea what was going on. I was really bored by it because I didn't have a clue. <laughs> it just seemed like some angry old man, just like. And then they, wow. they, man, they referred to each other to his son as well. Um, like I, also his son's shirt and tie combination. I get why Bill Watts was so mad. Did you see the shirt and tie combination? From, uh, I didn't spot it this Jim. way, but usually he's, usually he's pretty bad on Joel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there was also um, so yeah. Obviously, I didn't know what was going on like at the time, and then I thought. Bill Watts has definitely, in the build-up to that promo, he's definitely gone to like a whatnot shop or like a car boot sale and saw that statue and thought, I'm <laughs> going to make an angle out of this. So like, I'm definitely going to use this in a promo. Like, but yeah, man, I didn't really know what was going on. So it was just kind of peculiar. This angry man in a cowboy hat, like telling he's going to try and take this guy to court and he tried to use the government and all that. And then it all became about America again, as well, which I didn't realise was like, such a common thread in Mid-South Wrestling in America versus... Yeah, I think that's a, a pretty common thread in a lot of kind of... T- the, the, the easy kind of foreign heel is, a you know, a storyline device that's been used quite yeah. quite a lot. Interesting. I thought you quite would have quite liked that, but it's, it's all good. Never lost for words, and he has this rebuttal. And Akbar said that he should know wrestling is a man's game, and he, and he wants to tell him one thing. If he's ever thinking of coming out of retirement, that's the biggest mistake he'll ever make. He wants to remind Bill and his family that he can pull pull all kind of strings. He will put his family on the streets, and that is a promise. If he doesn't heed what he's saying, just look at Jim Duggan. There's no American way as far as he's concerned. He knows what to do with the American flag and apple pie. He makes a fool out of Mid-South, out of American justice, and they are looking at the person who's going to run Mid-South. He said, he said, you should look at Jim Duggan and know what not to do, boy. Um, I thought this was good for Akbar as well here, but maybe you're about to tell me something different. What Ross made the point that Watts had re- retired because he wanted to, not because he had to. Thoughts on this um, Akbar promo here and follow-up to Bill Watts? Uh, to be fair, I actually thought his one was a lot better. It was a lot more interesting. Um, but I also quickly realised as well, this was definitely an, massively an angle about Will, Bill Watts coming out of retirement. Yes. I don't know why he retired. So as soon as Jim Ross was staying, he didn't, have to retire but he chose to straight away you, I just knew what his angle was about like you know, about the return of Bill Watts so yeah I mean I think I mean Bill Watts was I, I suspect uh Bill Watts mainly really um retired probably because of injuries caught up with him a little bit uh, and also um he was right he was running the company so it's, it's kind of difficult when you're I mean it has been done quite a lot but I guess he wanted to to focus on the the business side of things I'm just trying to work out how old he was so 49 59 69 79, 89 so he would only have been 45 just about just turned 45 at this point which actually in in 
now is not that old for a wrestler. When you think of Bill no, Goldberg yeah. in his 50s, AJ Styles is 44. So, yeah, he wasn't all that old at this point. Um, first up in ring action today is Kamala versus Vern Deaton, who I hadn't seen before and Ross called a newcomer. Um, and this was a complete and brutal squash match with Kamala winning in 57 seconds with his usual splash. Um, not much to add on this. Um, but this is definitely the best use of his character rather than some of the earlier, longer matches I've seen Kamala in. Um, anything to add on this one between Kamala and Vern Deaton? What a great name for a wrestler. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a few of them in this show with great names. Yeah. Um, I heard my favourite thing I've ever heard a commentator say in this match, and that was, look at the sheer velocity behind that flick of the wrist. <laughs> <laughs> was that Joel or Jim Ross? Uh, Joel. Uh, Joel, Joel yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Flick, I wish I'd, spot, I'd, I'd, heard, I'd spotted that. I didn't hear that. But Joel's full of classics all, all the time. But that's it, really. Anything else to add on this? Um, I mean, it's only 57 seconds, so there's not a lot going on here, really. No, you knew what was going to happen before the match even started, didn't you? This, yeah. Uh, they're talking about these rookies coming to, like, to, uh, facing his Kamala. You just knew. Yeah. Like, I've seen quite a few matches like this in Mid-South where they put this big monster guy against an absolute... Well, I don't know if he's an absolute nobody, Van Dieten. Did he ever do anything afterwards? I don't think so, no. Oh. no. So, yeah. I thought he had he was in he was in reasonable shape actually. Yeah, he was. Yeah, enhancement type, but yeah, but no, yeah, I don't think anything became of him. Um, next up, we had the brute who Skander Akbar called his latest addition to Devastation Incorporated, going up against another newcomer in Frank Lane. Um, and disappointingly, I couldn't find anything about the brute online, so answer on a postcard, please, if anyone knows who he was. Um, Twenty seconds into this, there's a commotion at ringside, and we then saw Jim Duggan with a chair and bandages all over his face, chasing after Akbar to huge cheers from the crowd he managed to lay in a couple of boots to Akbar before he escaped the brute then took a brutal chair shot to the top of a head before depositing before being deposited to the outside as Ross screamed we've got mayhem in mid-south wrestling I thought Jim Ross was exceptional here and this was a really brilliant angle with Duggan coming back from the kind of sort of deadly attack really from Skandar Akbar and the way that they played it up um, the babyface locker room then emptied as Brad Armstrong and um, Terry Taylor and a few others came out to basically welcome back Jim Duggan. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. What did you make of this? Did, did this make a bit more sense given uh, what I've explained now and also how this was set up on the on the show? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think now you've sort of explained the storyline, it makes sense because I'm still watching it thinking, why does he come out with rags all over his face? Yeah. <laughs> uh, even when I was at that point. So it, it does sort of make sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought like the brute, um, I, I don't know how much he was in it beforehand, but it looked like, the way it's built up, I thought, oh, he's going to be an absolute animal. He's going to absolutely destroy this guy. Yeah, so, and that's what I thought promoted. as well, yeah. And then, but then again, typically, I remember the last time, uh, second last time I watched Mid-South Wrestling, every single match had that interruption. So Okay, yeah. Uh, so I wasn't surprised when this happened. Like, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Within, what, again, 10, 17 seconds, I think you said, like, straight away, everyone's piling into the ring, but... And this brew, I don't think was was seen again. So, um, oh, it's, really? yeah, it's interesting that it, it it was almost like he was going to be an, an introduced guy. And he didn't have a great body or anything or particularly good look. So, um, yeah. yeah, interesting. Um, Rick Flair versus Wendell Cooley was up next, and Boyd called Rick the NWA World Champion Heavyweight Division in a description I've never heard used before. Um, and this was Rick's first ever television match in Mid South, and this was in the midst of a run of matches with North American Champion Terry Taylor, and they'd wrestled in the Myriad in Oklahoma and the Municipal Auditorium in Shreveport in late 80, April 85 before moving on to, to Alexandria and the Ham... Ham? 
the Ham Houston Coliseum, the Sam Houston Coliseum in May. And um, Rick was going to be coming back into the Mid-South area for the big Superdome Spectacular, which was slotted in for the following Saturday after this television episode aired. And Joel talks about how if Wendell could get to a 10-minute draw with Rick, Flair, that would be a moral victory. And um, I thought this was a decent short Ric Flair TV match. And there was a great back and forth spot in the corner between the two around the four minute mark and a small package near fall for Cooley that the crowd bit on hard. Uh, ended in 5.17 with Wendell submitting to the figure four leg lock and he sold it like it was absolutely torturing him. And um, what did you think of this match? And also, given sort of your your later birthday in life shall we say yeah. um what do you, what's your overall, overall view on rick flair because i was i was too young really to see his prime and it's only yeah. really in latter latter stages so you you i guess you're most familiar with him with probably his late career stuff in wwe and i guess post-retirement really so what's your what what do you think of rick flair what, what do you think of kind of thing it was it was actually quite nice to see because rick flair i've only ever seen wrestling when he's ancient yeah. So when he's like a, almost, uh, he's an old man wrestling. Uh, he was in good shape. He had giant pecs. So it was like, yeah, it was it was kind of <laughs> cool to see. Like because you hear everyone talk about him being a legend, but I've never really seen it. It's weird to think that I've always known as Ric Flair from my generation as the guy that was in Evolution. Yeah. So, whereas yep. he's obviously much much more than that. Like, but it was, to me, like he was the guy. He was one of the guys in Evolution. But um, yeah, it was really cool. And it was the first time I, I've ever watched Mid South wrestling. I know you, it probably isn't, but it's the first time I've seen a special move finish a match mm. like a lot of the time it's a body slam finish it or a suplex finish it but obviously knowing rick flair from the like from the future you just you're familiar with that cool. one yeah, yeah it's kind of cool yeah. to see a special move but yeah. yeah like it was actually a good match as well i thought the ref took ages with that roll-up pin uh, you know, when Wendell almost... Um, yeah, almost... I think if he'd have been down a bit quicker, that would have been even more dramatic. Because Ric Flair cap kicked out not super close to three, was it? I think it was no, too near. long. Yeah, it was like two and a bit, wasn't it? But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. But, um, yeah, it's cool to see. Rick was okay. Like, looked like a good wrestler back then. So He was 35 there as well, actually. So, yeah. I mean, he was... Uh, is that right? 36, actually. 36. So he's, he's still... I mean, he was younger than I am now, but, you know, he's still, you know, his prime is probably before that. I mean, though he had some exceptional matches with um, with Ricky Steamboat in 1989, that's the stuff that I, if you ever, yeah. if you ever got about three hours and you think, I want to watch some old wrestling, watch Ric Flair's matches with Ricky Steamboat. There's three of them in 1989 on, on three pay-per-views, but that is, that. I mean, Flair had some really good performances after that, and even some of that stuff in the Evolution run was memorable. The match with Michael's retirement was exceptional, yeah. given his, his stage of his, of his life, but in terms of people thinking i think the thing that was people revere rick flair for is um, again this is only going really on what people have said but rick flair would travel around and and like like he's with doing with terry taylor here in the mid-south area he'd go he'd do draws and long matches and he'd make their babyface champion or babyface number one guy look like a million dollars yeah. it was all about like 100 performance level at all times Whereas I've heard, other, you know, other people people talk about Bret Hart and like Bret Hart's pay per view match is phenomenal, but apparently that there was a kind of a slightly lower down on a house show or like you know live yeah. event with no television. So I think that's why Ric Flair is so kind of revered by people. And um, um, next, with Ric Flair was this pre hit? Uh, was this pre the like because leg the legendary stuff that I've heard about Ric Flair was obviously the NWA belt that he's obviously got yeah. here. And the four horsemen. So was this pre four horsemen or after? No, this is this is middle middle middling four horsemen time. This oh, is okay. um, it probably wasn't the original group around this time, but yeah, the four horsemen would have been around uh I if I had to guess, I would say probably 80, 83, 84. I'm just gonna sure. have a quick uh quick look at that. 
Uh, but yeah, I think um, let's have a little look. Four horse from Wrestling Stable and Jim Cockett Promotions. Oh, 85 actually. So it would have been around this time. So original Four Horsemen um, around 85 actually by the looks of things. So yeah, but a little bit later than I, um, than I thought. So yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, this is kind of prime Ric Flair um, time really in terms of, you know, consistently the NWA world champion would occasionally drop it to various people yeah, but yeah. then get it back. So um, next up, Jake Robertson, the Barbarian, who was doing an annoying jumping up and down thing that reminded me of Tito Ortiz. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that. How did you think that as well? Yeah, like I remember that thinking back back in the day when Tito would like wrestle someone to death, basically, in, in his fights before Chuck Liddell sorted him out. Um, basically, the crowd were really getting into They were going up against Brickhouse Brown and Brad Armstrong, and the crowd were really getting into Brickhouse's entrance. He's out with his big stereo. And Joel said it's been a terrific hour so far, and he thinks what they have remaining will be just as exciting. Um, Joel said that Roberts and the Barbarian have been lobbying for a tag team title match with DiBiase and Williams, and that would be unusual for Mid-South at the time in that both teams on the heel side of things. I, Joel didn't say that because that would be very unusual if he said heel on air. <laughs> um, this was a good and exciting TV tag match, and it looked to be just over before seven minutes when Brickhouse got caught in the full Nelson, but he fought it and fought it, and he got to the ropes and tried to push off, but the referee did not break it. Armstrong got in there behind the ref's back and drop kicked the Barbarian, which bumped the ref. Jake, the illegal man, then DDT Brickhouse. They threw Armstrong out of there, revived the ref, then Jake made the pin in 8.22 of solid action here. What did you think of this tag team match? I was completely up and down with it. I liked it, but I didn't like it at the same time. Like mm. There was just little things like, if you're following the rules, and I, I do think no matter what, watching wrestling, you have to follow the rules. Like, And you'll know this better than me, but Jake sort of does, like he taps on his back like four times. And like, um, Jake, I can't remember, uh, it's to Armstrong, um, taps on his back up four times. And it's like, come on, is that a tap? It looks like a tap. Then he like went over and embraced, um, he went and embraced. Oh, tap outs weren't a thing then. I know what you mean. Not? No, 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 it wasn't. Tap outs oh, weren't right. a thing. And yeah, yeah. So that seems so interesting because you're seeing that with modern eyes. Well, but they were the they would, yeah, the previous yeah. match, Ric Flair did um, with the figure four. So I, I, I thought I saw a tap. So I He might have been ended. banging the mat. But that wasn't yeah. a tap out. So it would have been what? a verbal submission. Yeah, it's mental. So um, tap outs weren't really a thing in wrestling until I've just listened to something about this recently. It was either Ken Shamrock or someone just before Ken Shamrock. So like 96, okay. 97, maybe Taz and ECW did tap outs as well. Um, but yeah, it was around that time. So obviously much, 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 much later than this. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So there was that. But then it was also Jake. Okay, so when I'm talking about following the rules, like, that's ridiculous. But um, yeah, there was also a bit where he went over and embraced, um, he went over and embraced the barbarian and like he slapped him on the belly and he's just like, oh, that's, a, that's a tag out. Like, come on, like, get out of yeah. the ring. But yeah, that's like, true. There's a few things like that. Uh, but obviously, as well, like comparing it to one day. Um, so uh, Brickhouse isn't as tanked as John Cena because he couldn't break the muscle lock. Yeah, to rely on, uh, <laughs> yeah, to rely on Armstrong to get. So you're really so. showing what era of wrestling fan you are with Chris <laughs> Masters, aren't you? I was, go, yeah. I was like, when you put him into that lock, I was like, that's the master lock. And I was like, <laughs> this is about 15, 20, like 20 years before Chris Masters come into yeah. it. So I was like, oh, at least I know that. It probably was like, about 20 years, wasn't it? I guess Masters yeah. was 05, 06, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And then Barbarian's done an absolute tank. Like, yes, he is. Yeah. But 
Yeah, so yeah, it, yeah, it was weird to see. I didn't know the tap out thing was a thing though, so that's interesting. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I mean, I can't really. I, I think of ninety seven, ninety eight as being relatively modern, but obviously it's not really now, is it? In terms of the generations, so, which is yeah. a bit, bit crazy, really. Um, next up, we had Eddie Gilbert in ring going up against the North American champion Terry Taylor in a non-title match. Ross said that next week Taylor would defend the North American title against the Nightmare. Ric Flair made his way down to ringside early on in this, and him and Gilbert exchanged words. Ross said that Flair had been concerned about the tremendous winning record Taylor had amassed recently. Taylor won this by submission in the figure four uh, in 2.17. So the storyline here is that Taylor's learning the figure four because he feels like that's the best thing to go up against Flair and he's changed for world title. I'm not sure that's great. That's a bit like someone going up against George St. Pierre in the UFC who's like an average wrestler going, I know, I'm going to wrestle him and that'll win. Do you think that would work? Yeah, absolutely not. Not a chance, yeah, ex- exactly. The ending to this was incredible. This ending was my favourite thing I've seen in Mid-South Wrestling so far. Right, so. I'll just recap this and then we'll go over to your thing. So basically, um, Flair got in there and was shouting at Flair. Flair got in there and was shouting at Taylor, but the commentators weren't explaining what was happening, so you couldn't really sit hear what they were saying. Flair then pushed Taylor. Taylor pushed him back. Gilbert went for Taylor, and with his back turned, Flair attacked Taylor and went to work on him. Flair locked on the figure four as Gilbert celebrated on the outside. Um, I thought Taylor did a really fantastic job selling this as Joel speculated that Terry either could give it up or break his leg. The ref was down on the floor with Terry like it was a match, but there was no bell and the commentators didn't say it was a match. Um, The fans were really into this and were chanting, go Terry, go. Taylor ultimately reversed the figure four and Flair was saying that he wanted to give it up. So the bell went, as Joel said, it wasn't an official match. That's slightly confusing. Gilbert then tried to attack um, Taylor, but the snowman made the save and Taylor and him embraced in the ring. Flair limped off as Ross said he was irate. Um, I did really like the whole segment here, but I, I, I didn't like the kind of, the, the fact that it was alluded to that this was a match then it's taken away but overall this is a good presentation so what did you like about this and what, what was your kind of favourite bit here it felt modern day didn't it like using someone else's finisher like, I yeah. know again it was before the finisher thing but it was always like you could tell there was a build towards that and um, yeah that that figure four Terry Taylor locked in to win the match I thought that was a wicked touch um, yeah. I honestly I, because I was watching it um, on my way home I didn't realise Terry I, I thought I heard um Joe Watts say that like this is an un- he actually said unsanctioned match at some point. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So this is a match. And then the bell started going. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, Tote is just lost. And then it turns out it wasn't a match, which it was confusing. But yeah. that fig- like so that um figure four reversal, I thought it was incredible. I thought Yeah, they both so, did a really good job. I agree. I think they could have done something where like there was a little like a figure four leg lock challenge or something, and they and they could have said this is not sanctioned, like the ring announcer said this is not sanctioned, but ring the bell or whatever. And then I think they'd have been it, what happened next would have been even more dramatic because that's Taylor basically beating Flair. But I guess they probably didn't want to go quite as strong as that, but this was essentially Taylor kind of semi-beating Flair on t- beating the NWA world champion on television. So that was what I'm they sure were. it was a build. Uh, I'm sure they're building like from this, they're building towards a Terry Taylor. Yeah. The following there, so. Saturday um, in the Superdome in New Orleans was, was Flair defending against Taylor. So that's why he's on television here because he hasn't been oh, on, okay. on TV. So Mid-South had a working relationship with the NWA. So, but they weren't part of the NWA like the most of the other territories were. So it's kind of a, odd thing but they, they would work together and have the nwa world champion on their shows occasionally um dr death and ted dibiossi versus mike samani and jim jeffers up next as ross said the crowd was still buzzing after what they had just seen joel said that dibiossi and williams were both fantastic athletes and joel said that the rock and roll express were negotiating for a tag team title match and while joel didn't say it i'm sure the insert promos would have said that that rematch would happen at the superdome one week later 
Um, Williams won this with his stampede body slam in 144. Um, nothing much to add on this squash. Any, a squash. Any thoughts on this one between Dots Death and Teddy Biosi versus Mike Samani and Jim Jeffers? It, it went the way I thought it was going to go, but there was something that I've heard that was really weird, and that was, um, again, following off Joe Watts, he was like, he said something like, um, because I remember the entire time, you've, a lot of the time you've been doing this, and when I've done this, I've listened to, um, it always seems like Dr. Death has always been there. So yes. when he said, oh, Ted DeBiossi is a, a great mentor for Dr. Death, he's only been doing it for two years. I thought, that can't be right. Surely Dr. Death's not that new to wrestling as a whole like he was at this point actually funny enough because he was really? playing um yeah because he, he'd been playing um he'd been playing college american football yeah i remember the match for the helmet so yeah yeah helmet on a pole match but he yeah. um he was only just 25 at this point so he got oh, he came yeah. out of college and was playing um so he played college football for the oklahoma sooners um, and then he played in what was a kind of secondary and um, I can't say NFL, but American Football League at the time, the USFL. Um, so he played for, for the New Jersey Generals in 1973. Um, and then he played um, for the Birmingham Stallions thereafter as well. Um, no, sorry, versus Birmingham Stallions. So he, play, he played for the New Jersey Generals versus the, the Birmingham Stallions. So he made a few appearances for them. But that's at the same time in the off season, he was getting involved in pro wrestling. So it probably wasn't... He probably wasn't in it for too long at the time this was. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. still quite a young man at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, I mean, some of his stuff in um, all Japan and stuff late later. I guess you were probably too young for, to remember him in Brawl for All and stuff in WF. I guess where you, you probably no, I don't. You but I, I remember playing. So, uh, I, I can't remember what I've read or played or something like that. But I've, I've come across it before. So yeah, but this well, that was again one of the names I recognised. But again, I didn't realise he was that new to it. And he's also like from what I've seen. Not just quite a main player amid South, but he's also quite good. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, but especially for somebody like, that's why I was quite surprised when Joe said it. He's only got two years' experience. I thought he's he's pretty decent. Like, so. yeah, and that, and that's kind of a thing that about WWE now that a twenty-five year old just wouldn't. If you were twenty-five, you wouldn't get a chance in the main roster, even if you're really good. You might get a chance in NXT UK or NXT or whatever. Yeah, no yeah. one would ever give you a chance on the main roster, which go which is very different to AEW where quite a lot of youngsters do you catch any AEW is that on your radar at all kind of I I was really into it and then um, after the uh, the um, the thingy Mimosa match with Orange Cassidy oh yeah yeah. I was just like I can't follow this anymore. I, I watch it here and there. And I watch a lot of the highlights. My favourite wrestler is uh, Pentagon Junior. So yeah, he's really I, good. I do watch it. And him and Ray Phoenix are incredible. I do watch it here and there, but um, yeah, so a little bit, but nowhere near as much as, as I used to, for example. Yeah, so. yeah. It wasn't what it promised, was it? I know this is a conversation about Mid South, but it wasn't what it's promised to be. So uh, not really, and I, I think they've been they've been solid. I mean, I think overall their television is probably like a, maybe a high six out of ten. But there's some weeks that haven't been. But I never think they've. I never think that. I've never thought. Sorry, easy me to say they've got they're quiet on pay per view. Um, but yeah, it's not. I know what you mean. It's not. It's not quite. 2017 New Japan, which I think a lot of diehards kind yeah. of want. Um, and it's probably sometimes a little bit too silly and a little bit too WWE-like. And yeah, it's just... Um, but it's decent. It's a decent alternative. But I'd be interested to see how they get on when they get back into crowds, which is which is going to be happening in the... in the. I think they've sold out the pay-per-view for 5,700 seats. Um, right. Which, when is the... Yeah, the pay-per-view is <laughs> airing after this air. So, um, which would be interesting to see with a full crowd and see who's over. Because, like... In terms of this this period, it's difficult with eleven hundred people some weeks, four hundred people some weeks, and that that place in Jacksonville to know, you know, who's made advancements and who's not really. So we should. Yeah, I can't. 
I can't really tolerate that. I get really annoyed with Cody as well. Um, I know he's a great mm. wrestler, but his entire persona and everything, like, uh, he was, I know his promo that he did the other day about his daughter and wife was like, it was lovely and that. But then he was on Twitter talking about other people saying, oh, some people call it the best promo ever. And really? it's like, who's saying that? He's, that's what he said, tweeted, yeah. And he's like, who's saying that? Nobody, who's no. actually said that? Like, no one when you say that. some, like, when you're saying something like who? Name maybe one, Bra- like, Maybe Brandy said it was Yeah, exactly. Promo, Brandy said yeah, it. Like, no one else. No one right. else. So we then cut to, uh, oh no, we've missed, I've missed a match. So we've got the TV champion, the Snowman versus Tommy Pritchard up next. Ross calls the Snowman double tough. And I thought he looked passable here and slightly better than dreadful as he has on previous appearances. Albeit that did not prevent him from partially botching a power slam, which he used to win in 118. Anything to add on this Snowman versus Tommy Pritchard match? No, just the fact I wouldn't want to wrestle Snowman. I know he's a, no, I know he's yeah. a face, but he's a big boy, isn't he? Like, yeah, big and probably very clumsy, I'd imagine, as well. So Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah I mean, it's not for it was, Yeah, it went the way he thought it was going to as well, so no yeah. surprises there. Indeed. We then cut to the desk, and Ric Flair was with Joel, Joel and Jim Ross um, with his world title belt around his waist. Rick told Ross not to try and embarrass him. He said Taylor got very lucky, but in the very near future, him, Bill Watts and Duggan and anybody else who thinks Flair plays games in Hollywood or anywhere else is going to be proven wrong. This is pro wrestling and Taylor needs to be the best in his entire life to beat him because he is the one and only world heavyweight champion. 240 pounds of the toughest piece of work this sport has ever known. He says for Taylor to keep looking for him because he won't be hard to find. I thought this was nice stuff on Flair, as you'd expect. What did you make of this Ric Flair promo? You can tell the difference. You can see why Ric Flair went on to become a legend. Like yeah. he might have even been a legend at this point. He's so above everyone else in his promos and his wrestling. Like, like even um, I don't know what it's called. Do you know when you lift someone up for a suplex and you hold them there? Oh, like, wait, um, stuff- delayed vertical suplex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, just stuff like that. I haven't seen him himself yet, and he was just chucking stuff out there. Like he did it twice. Like yeah. so, you can just see his wrestling skills are above everyone else. His mic skills are phenomenal. Like. You're selling. He like you can tell he's next level. Um, yeah, Flair's unbelievable at this point. Really, incredible. he made the entire show as well. Everything that was good about the show was around, centered around him. So he was he's next level, isn't he? I now, I it's weird when I look back at it now. I can now see why he became who he was and why he was still allowed to wrestle with TNA when he was like 64 years old or 62 <laughs> years old. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's lots. Of, I, even I, I feel like I've barely scratched the surface of some some of the Flair stuff. Um, Ross says that Flair will be back next week along with Terry Taylor versus The Nightmare and in two weeks the Rock and Roll Express will return plus Cowboy Bill Watts will be in ring action wow I thought this was another um, good show which has been very much the theme for this promotion in recent weeks so James what are your final thoughts on the May 25th 1965 episode of Mid-South Wrestling it, I thought it was really good um, I, like I just said I think it was all centred around Ric Flair but it was nice to see a bit more wrestling, um, a bit more athleticism-based wrestling. Um, the stuff that I've watched before, it's all been people running in with chairs, um, invading each other's matches and things like that. So it was good to see some actual matches, some actual storytelling. There's two big storylines, and that's Ricky, uh, Ricky? Uh, Rick with a K, Flair against Terry Taylor, and um, also this uh, Bill Watts uh, story, story going along. So... It was good because I did the first mid South wrestling I watched. Like there was nine matches and all of them ended in ended in interference. Oh really? So, okay, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a while back, but so yeah, it was good to see some actual wrestling. So and some new moves and a bit more athleticism. Good and stuff. Sonny King went there. Sonny King wasn't there. Oh well, no! Well, I'll so. try and get Sonny King back for your for your next uh, <laughs> next appearance. So where can people find you online? Uh, I remember my Twitter bit. Uh, every time I've been on this and I've said my Twitter, but I've said it wrong. <laughs> so I checked it just before I came up. It's James Margaret YH. So that's uh, that's my Twitter. 
Perfect. Good stuff. Thank you very much as ever. Thank you for listening. We should speak to you all again very soon. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you've enjoyed it, why not head over to Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button, follow on Spotify or press whatever you need to where you listen to this show to receive the episodes as soon as they are released. We love reviews at Mid-South Moments. So why don't you make my day by leaving a five-star rating? Also, if you're interested in guest hosting in the future, please do reach out at Mid Moments on Twitter and I look forward to speaking with you all again very, very soon.